Some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. Spit. Spittle, little pieces of moisture coming out of my mouth onto David's microphone. And uh, yeah, okay, give it some energy, Scott. (laughs) You just made that way grosser than it needed to be. (laughs) Spit podcasts, spitballing ideas, and um, I'm not going to do any better, actually. I mean, we have an intro. intro. Your intro's fine. Hey, Scott, lots of energy today, dude. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm busy, you know, and... um, so I guess I have a lot of energy. I got a lot of things to take care of, which is a positive in my life. Got to get you. Got to be getting used to it at this point. In a, come April, it's mm-hmm. always your busy season. It is. Yes, yeah. we've got the big boardroom show coming up May fifth and sixth at the Del Mar Fairgrounds, the California Gold Surf Auction, where you can bid on up to seventy plus lots, surfboards, paper, and art, and you can do it from anywhere in the world. All you have to do is download the app. We have high-resolution images. You can check out the images and check out the boards and stuff and take a good look at stuff and um, register, preview, bid, and win. California Gold Surf Auction, boardroom show, icons of foam. There's so many things going on. We've got this man-on-man heats. Two men enter, one man leaves. It's the Icons of Foam Tournament of Champions honoring Mark Andrini. And, of course, the entire show presented by U.S. Blanks. So we're excited. I've done enough plugging. Plug, Not, plug, plug. It's Thursday. I'd say let's continue to plug throughout the show because um, it's a huge deal, and I'm spending my entire weekend down there. I obviously got a booth, so I'm going to be there hosting meet and greets with past show guests that I've had over on Surf Splendor that I've interviewed. Who, may I ask? Dave Parmenter's coming down. Cool. Yeah. Um, just a bunch of guys. Uh Josh Martin is coming over. Devin Howard is going to swing by to chat with people about the egg surfboard design. Cool. He he, bro- he jokingly brought up the egg. Not jokingly. He brought up the egg on uh, a show that I did with him. Yeah. And I've never ridden one, and he was really a big proponent of it. And I'm like, first of all, for listeners outside of Southern California, we refer to Southern California as if it's its own region which it is but there's a ton of sub regions within it in the surfing community the boards that you guys are riding down in san diego i don't see any of in orange county you know right. orange county's like high performance shortboard mecca and that's it and if you ride something that has um that is longer than maybe six four either go down the beach and do it in, in anonymity or just don't do it in the middle of the crowd. You guys or, are sheeple is what it is. It, it really is. Lemmings. Yeah, and I'm not proud of it. I'm just saying what it is. And if you ride a board that has color on it, you might want to do that down the beach. It's just like very kind of homogenized, you know? Everybody's yeah. trying to do what Brett Simpson and Kanoa are doing at the pier, basically. Oh, God. That's and um, so Devin's telling me about the egg, and I'm just like, dude, I don't know. That sounds so lame. But obviously, Devin surfs really well. And he did a great job articulating the board design. So that probably a year ago now has taken, has like generated its own 
big conversation, a follow-up of like a lot of people I talk to now are asking me about the egg. And a lot of people have gotten an egg and said like it's revolutionized or at least opened up the type of waves they can surf and how well they're surfing those waves. And uh, anyways, Devin's going to swing by the booth on Saturday, I think from 11 to 1 and just chat with anybody who he was going to come to the show anyway. So he's just going to hang out and chat and make himself available. Yeah. You know, that design, the round board is what we call it. The egg is actually the the shape of the rail, but it does look like the, the plane shape does have a round board outline, which yeah. is, and so when I was growing up, we called them round boards and probably down in La Jolla, they were called eggs because right. Skip Fry was the big GNS egg guy. And there was a lot of GNS, um, influence, you know, and there's a lot of guys. In fact, Tony Staples was a guy who made a bunch of really great round boards. And we're talking like, you know, between 71 and, 79 really kind of that era was when the round board was really big and it was and you have to point to australia a little bit too the san diego and the australia connection is pretty deep yeah and um of course um michael peterson rode a round board and what he was doing on that board was pretty incredible so um the guys in san diego although they don't toot their own horns or at least they didn't back then um, they were pretty hip. And a lot of that had to do with the Win and Sea Surf Club visiting Australia. And all of those ideas from Australia coming back to San Diego, um, most of them through the hands of Skip Fry and Hank Warner and some of these other guys that were Win and Sea Club members, um, design guys, surfboard builders. And, and so it kind of germinated there. And then it, it, you know, it would move up the coast perhaps. You know? And I think it did leapfrog over a lot of the beach breaks in Orange County. And it would go to places where there was, for whatever reason, where there was cliffs. And that reason could be maybe those waves are a little bit softer. You know, the reefs of, of California cliffs. And again, we're throwing a massive generalization here, but I'm just kind of riffing. And uh, and so anyway, the, the round board, the egg, insane. I mean, um, you know, we've been riding them for decades and decades and decades. Yeah. And, um, and Devin does a great job of, uh, he's sort of the guy that's carrying the torch. Really? A, yeah, and he's a good communicator. He's very good. So that helps. Um, speaking of the Australian connection, you and I got a box of clothes from McTavish. Oh, my God. We forgot Thanks to for mention bringing that. bringing that up. Yeah, last show we had it, and we forgot. It was in my notes, and I just skipped it. Um, I put out an Instagram. Did you happen to see me wearing my McTavish I, gear? I did. I was worried they sent the entire box to your place, and then I wouldn't get my distribution of clothes, but they sent <laughs> me a box too. <laughs> your distribution of clothes is safe, David. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was. I my wife and I were both blown away by the stylistic... Um, I don't know what would be the right word. I mean, the clothes are stylish, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And And... They don't come off as like, not that anything really comes off as surf clothes anymore, but they look like something that you would get. Let's just put it this way. I'm proud to wear my McTavish clothes. Like it doesn't feel like I'm wearing something that my teenage son would wear. It feels like I'm wearing something that a 30 year old man would wear. Very well made. Yeah. Um, Super well made, right? Way nicer than it needs. It's nicer than it needs to be. And that's what I told him. I emailed him back and I was like, dude, these clothes are actually, you just assume everybody in the t-shirt in the surf industry kind of gets t-shirts from the same couple of suppliers. So they're all kind of the same, just have a different logo. These they're like pigment dyed. They have, um, you know, little, uh, tags sewn on leather patches and stuff like, and the shirts are just well, and not only the shirts, I got pants. I got like a heavy, like corduroy kind of shirt, um, way nicer than they need to be. They're I think so good. That- it's like an actual 
clothing line, well, exactly. not just branded as. That's exactly what yeah. I was going to say, because I, I think there's kind of two ways that, that brands go about this. One is a bunch of surf guys are like, hey, our McTavish boards are great. Let's make some clothes. And they go and they just like outsource it. Exactly. And the other is the McTavish guys go, hey, we should get a clothing line. Let's get a designer to do it for us and we'll license the name and let him run with it. Yeah. And that's the case in this. I, that's what it feels like because this feels like a clothing designer went, you know what? We're going to make some great clothes. And they did. Yeah. And they're, so yeah, they're unique designs. And by the way, this is not a paid advertisement. They, no. we talked about them on the show. I think I mentioned how they've done a great job of transitioning like the legacy of McTavish into a very modern streamlined uh, visual experience with their website and their Instagram and I had just landed on it. I don't even remember how. Um, and then I mentioned it to you on the air. And so then we got a follow-up email going, hey, we listen to the show and thanks so much. We'll send you guys some gear. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, and that happens pretty occasionally yeah. or yeah. random or frequently now. And um, But that was, those clothes are awesome. So huge shout out to McTavish. Great legacy. Yeah, thanks um, for the clothes. Yeah. And then of course, Scott, at the boardroom show, the booth that I have right next to it, we have our... Uh, sponsor Need Essentials is going to have a booth. Absolutely, and I th- I think last year was their first show, and they said they had a tremendous response because we had just found their wetsuits um, individually, you and I, and then discussed them on the show. So they got a booth, and they said tons of people came by and mentioned us and bought wetsuits and jackets and board shorts and all sorts of stuff. So NeedEssentials.com, and they'll be there at the boardroom show, showing their wares, and right next to me. So swing by, yeah. I just went to um, Indiana, what? and it was snowing. This was a couple of days ago. Okay. And thank God I had my Neat Essentials puffy jacket, because oh, I was yeah. toasty and uh, yeah, and doing it right. Everybody talks about the wetsuits, but don't overlook the jackets. Oh, dude. my God. The outerwear. Yeah. Um, spyoptic.com is also sponsoring the show, and obviously, we've been talking about their happy lenses. You know, let the good light in, keep the bad light out. But this month, I'm partnering with Spy. Everybody who buys a pair of sunglasses using our promo code podcast, we are gifting a year membership to the Surfrider Foundation. Wow. How crazy is that? That's very good. So you use our promo code. You'll get one year subscription. That is in honor of Earth Day this month in April. Right. So Spy was giving away t-shirts and then they reached out to me and they're just like, dude, let's do something like for Earth Day. So this is what we came up with. You'll get a year gift membership. And then our hope is that you renew that at the end of the year and then beyond in perpetuity. Well, and probably the best, um, one of the great um, ways to sort of elaborate on the the goodness of the happy lens is that my son won't give me back my (laughs) ski goggles, (laughs) which have the happy lens. When you went to Indiana, did you need them? No, oh. no, but I mean, he's been snowboarding and he's, just, and I, there's no way I'm getting my goggles back. That's you know what amazing. I mean? Like Hank, he loves them. That's so. amazing. And then World Water or World Wave Expedition. And it looks like they're at the boardroom show too, right? I don't think so. No, oh. Anthony, no. But they that. just announced the winner of their, their giveaway. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it in an email, but. Um, no, I didn't. They have, let me see if I can find it. Yeah. Um, well, I'm super excited about the boardroom show, dude. There are the I'm most interested in the shaping competition kind of elimination format as opposed to just doing individual shapers. Um, obviously, it's more like a surf contest elimination breakdown. Yeah, round robin, man on man. Here, uh, here's what I'm concerned about. Though, yes, dude. sir. What do you got? 
you got Wayne Rich and Matt Calvani going up against each other in round one. Yeah. That could be a final. Well, one of the guys is going to get knocked out. This is the tournament of champions. These are guys that have all won this event before in the past. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. When you get the best of the best together, it starts off and it's grueling, you know, and we had to seed these guys and they're, they're, you know, they're, they've got their seeding. Did you do for, it randomly? No. No, if you look at the number one seed, Ricky Carroll, he's won this event three times, oh. and he's also won the Chunk of Foam Challenge. And he's won his own shape off on the East Coast. Okay. He's the number so one seed. So he's seeded against Travis Reynolds, who's the lowest seed? The number eight seed, Travis Reynolds, yeah. Okay. But again, these numbers, these guys are all the best of the best. You know, like these guys are legit craftsmen. Right. Travis Reynolds can make a board from you from scratch. Like he'll cut down a tree, glass it, He'll do the artwork. He'll mix the paint out of some sort of like leaf pigments. Right. Like this guy can do it all. In fact, he was in the Ultimate Craftsman project that we did two or three years ago. And he built this beautiful, had this incredible Indian sort of motif uh, artwork on it. Just a gorgeous board. Yeah. So, yeah. Look. They're seated. I don't know. You can read off the seatings there. I think they're It's Ricky Carroll versus Travis Reynolds, Saturday at 10 a.m., Roger Hines, Bill Barnfeld at noon. Wayne Rich, Matt Calvani at two. Stu Kenson, Rex Marichal at four. All of that is on Saturday. Then the semifinals are on Sunday. So whoever wins those goes to the semis, obviously, at 9 and 11 a.m. And then the final is on Sunday at 1.30. And the show wraps up at around 4, 5? Yeah, it ends at 4. Okay. So yeah, two days. Everybody, whoever's in Southern California, has to come Del Mar Fairgrounds. And then, uh, if you're not in Southern California, I'll definitely be posting on Instagram. And I know Scott always does too throughout the entire day. So you can follow along. I hope to do Super some fun. live feeds on my Insta. It's so hard to do, dude. It's uh, like you need it? somebody. Well, it's easy to do, but you're running the show, oh, so I know. you can't do both things simultaneously. I know. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing is, you can hold your phone up and walk around, but the great thing about the live feed is engaging with public. Right. So you want to be able to comment back and respond to people and that sort of thing. By the way, you know what's been rad is Strider uh, is really good about doing the live feed before the contests start in the morning. Yeah. So, you know, it'll be uh, 1.30 our Pacific Standard Time, 7.30, whatever, uh, Bell's time. And... I'm waiting for seven for one thirty to roll around and then I'll get a notification on my phone at one 30 minutes earlier that Strider went live and I'm like, yes. So I'll get on Insta and check Strider and he'll be streaming from the steps at bells and even giving insider information like, Oh yeah, we're going to run today. We're going to run over at winky today. And then we're probably going to come back to bells later. So it's like you get a sneak peek of the day's events without the WSLs, you know, uh, without having to wait for them to go live with the main feed. Sure. Strider's always behind the scenes, providing the goods, He's also um, on one of those. He showed Joe Turpel freestyle rapping. Was that any good? <laughs> I mean, I don't really know a ton about freestyle rap, but it wasn't bad. It, it was clear. It was clear that like Joe had uh, practice. Practice this is, this and is beyond regular, a hobby. Yeah, he's into it. It was really funny. <laughs> That's actually. cool. Good it for was him. Really cool. Yeah. You know what? Let so. him go. Let the freak flag fly. Enjoy your life. That's what we like about. Uh, social media you know it's like a little glimpse you know, the behind thing the with curtain. joe trapel is that it's so hard to not like him he's just a nice human being of course dude. he's a great person you know like all those i guess everybody is though i mean they're all nice but mm-hmm. joe seems genuinely like 
he would like pull over if your car was broken down and like pull over and go here you know here's some food here's yeah. a coffee let me you know like he's like you know what i mean like over the top i know uh you know, of service to his fellow man. I worry about that sometimes because our kind of objective on this show is to provide criticism. Yes. Often. And that I think comes across as like a ire or a disapproval of somebody, which it isn't at all. It's like, no, we like our life is dedicated to this thing and we like all these things and we're grateful for the service that the commentary team, for example, provides, but we can still be critical of it. Well, we, we have to be critical of it because in our criticism comes the betterment of the production, the yeah. quality, everything. You know, we're hoping that they're listening so that this thing can get better. In a way, we're a focus group and they'd be wise to use us. And I think they do, as is evidenced by all of the major decisions that work out good seem to have come from us. I agree. Completely come from us. They take our lead. Uh, as long as they have a thick skin. They have to have a thick enough skin to like hear it and kind of accept what parts of it are actually um, constructive yes. and then kind of relinquish the parts that are just strictly insulting. And by the way, realize too that we are, <laughs> we lack in many areas. Well, that's the thing I've been told. Well, you want to hear some more of that? Oh, we got no, an email. I don't actually, but go we, ahead. we got an email from our buddy Rainbow in New Zealand. The first portion, he zings you and then he zings me even harder. So just, is this the guy from New Zealand that always writes us back? You yeah. call him Rainbow? I never knew his name was his Rainbow. his nickname. Oh, I didn't know that. He yeah. doesn't want to go by his first name? Uh, I, I'm always apprehensive to share people's full name on no, the show. No, not his full name, but his first name. Yeah, but now if I give you his first name and his nickname, you could triangulate uh, the information. I already went with Rainbow, so okay. let's go with it. Rainbow! <laughs> also, there is... I like it. I guess that's... colors in the sky that were co-opted by the lesbian and gay community. Exactly. Well, so his first and last name are very generic and uh yeah you know they're like very common yeah like bob wilson or something even more common right so um i i just like rainbow okay. rainbow so he zings both it's of pretty us fun. excuse me david but for a guy whose nickname is rainbow he always is coming in hard and heavy at us he's super witty yes he's, he's very too witty like i don't even get some of his witticisms oh he's gonna zing you for saying witticisms but yeah the way. that's not a word but it is now because we <laughs> so, invent words I, and that's exactly what this email is about. But I agree with you. Three, two out of three emails of his, I don't get. Or, or two-thirds out of every email, I don't get. Um, but I, I always enjoy. They're always super entertaining, you know? Anyway, Rainbow in New Zealand says, quote, You have to admire Scott's stance on never naming or disclosing spots that he may or may not have frequented with his close buddies on, a good last, on the good last swell. But equally, he's willing to name an Australian secret spot, semi-secret spot, north of the Gold Coast. But kudos to him for not naming any commercial four-wheel drive vehicle rental companies that you will need to engage to get there. <laughs> so I guess on Touché. a recent on a recent show, you named a yes, spot yes, in Australia that we're yes. never going to go surf. I don't know. That's I mean, but you don't name your local spots, right? No, that's interesting. I mean, yeah. but that spot. In Australia, I'm pretty sure everyone, it's kind of like Rincon. It's like, I'm going to name Rincon. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say, oh, it, but it is, it is actually way more off the radar. It's much more difficult to get to yeah. than Rincon. So I well, get it. And I apologize. Surfers are the worst. They are the worst, dude. We are the worst. Okay. So he continues and says, anyway, what the F is leaderage? What is this bastardization imperial unitage? 
Yeah, unitage. Uh, surfboards are constructed and denoted in feet and inches. And now leaderage? You guys fought and won against imperialism, but have never let it go since. Sticklers. Better off measuring surfboard volume in more tangible imperial unit to go with feet and inches. How about beersies? i.e. the volume of a tin of beer. It's easier to visualize the total number of six-packs to float you. Here are some other units you Americans may want to familiarize yourself with. For temperature, lahatage. For time, latage. For energy, lazyage. For mass, lardage. For luminous intensity, lightage. And with that, I'll switch off. <laughs> so he was terrorizing you for using the word leaderage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then I must have jumped on and went, yeah, leaderage. I've used it a bunch, dude. I, I like, honestly, <laughs> and I know it's not a word. Witticism. I know. Exactly. Leaderage, botan. So, botan. <laughs> so, uh, what I've always meant by leaderage is obviously we're referring to surfboard leaders. The right, the correct word would be volume. I had a guy ask me, I'm, I'm getting aboard. Guy asked me, how many leaders? Just the other day. I mean, there's nothing more foreign to me regarding surfboard design than leaders. I, I have, have no, no clue. Me neither. No clue. And I don't understand it. Like, let's say 31 liters is the ideal leaderage. <laughs> Does that mean my 9-0 Black's gun is 31 liters and my 6-2 is 31 liters? Well, is that's everything 31 liters? So and if not, why are we using this as... Because the problem is, this isn't a problem, but the, I would argue that or, the origin of this is Chloe and Dino working with Matt Biolis, right? And Chloe wants to ride the same volume of board in his high-performance shortboard. Some are going to go up an inch and down an inch. There's not going to be as much variation right. in his quiver as there is in right. yours because you're riding gliders to shortboards and fish, right. and so am I. Right. So. The volume doesn't really apply to you and I. It might apply within the realm of the shortboards that you're riding. And then you can go back to the shaper and be like, you know, I want to ride the same amount of volume, but I want it to be a little wider and shorter or something like hmm. that. But but I agree with you. It is not applicable to you and I. It's only applicable to the guys on tour who are refining. They're like in, they're within like a tenth of a degree of measurement refining what they're doing you know so and just the whole changing concept the of leaders from a marketing standpoint is hey let's use this term because the pros do and if you use it you'll sound like one of the pros i think they, it really isn't effective i i agree with you i think i don't know that they're even using it for marketing i think that they used the no, they terms are. well now they are but i think they use the terms publicly when chloe is communicating with biolis or something like that and then some Buddy reads that and then they call up or they go to place an order and they're just like, hey, I want a board that has this much volume in it. And they've just adopted it that it, way. It harkens back. I think its roots come from the windsurfing community, the sailboarding community. Because really? they would build boards in the 80s using leaderage, <laughs> leaders as a, a volume by which they would you know, build boards. Right. And they had these volume tanks where they would put the board in the tank to see how many liters it displaced. Right. It's a displacement thing, isn't sure. it? Sure. So anyway, I think I personally think it's lame. And when somebody asks me, I go, I have no clue. But I think the thickness of the rail is way more important. Because yeah, but I'm, I'm, I can I can sink a two and five eighths inch rail. I, I don't want two and three quarters because I'm not going to be able to keep it sunk through the bottom turn. And I don't want too thin because I ride mushy waves. But even that is assuming you're riding a certain style of board, right? Because that no, doesn't apply. No, I think apply. two and five eighths is my number, whether it's a nine foot board or a five five. Is it really? Yeah, two and five eighths. And then what we do is from two and five eighths, that's the 
that's at the wide point, which is going to be forward of middle. From there, I just want you to foil the rail down, you know, like a caster, like just a beautiful foil diffender for like, you know what I mean? Like just an insane. I think that's one of the things that's missing out of out of surfboard design is how wonderful the, the foils were from the oh, wide yeah. point and the thick, thickest part of the board foiled down to just gorgeous thin tail. How do you define you know, you foil? See boards, you see boards that are just, and I'm using, no one can <laughs> see what I'm doing, but that are basically like Scott stroking midair. <laughs> I, I wish I had a. I wish that I had a boomerang of this right. That now. might have been the funniest thing ever. The stroking of midair towards your face. That's the uh, name of my new band. <laughs> define foil. How do you define? Well, foil? I'm probably going to butcher it because yeah. like somebody like Parmenter is going to go. Bass doesn't know what he's talking about. But I always used foil as like the thickest part of the rail. Like so, let's say the I'm at two and five eighths at the thickest part, and then it subtly and slowly <laughs> i'm getting my phone out it subtly and slowly thins out from that point forward so you're s- or, or you know down help to the- help uh specify the definition is foil only in relation to the rail as you're describing in my definition now it is i'm not really saying, but it, it, i'm sure it can be used in other places but my i've always envisioned the foil of the board being how the rail tapers from its thickest moment two and five eighths down to its thinnest moment Perhaps, you know, a quarter of an inch. My understanding of the definition is the word taper, but not strictly in relation to the rail. I'm sure there's other places on I, the board where it makes sense. Because I, I think of the foil as also being like the thickest part of the center of the board and the way that that foils uh, down towards the rails. Sure. Not just from kind of the middle of the rail down to the tail of the yeah. rail, you know? Yeah. I think of it as being the complete distribution of the volume. Um, from a high point to a low point in all direct, like in a three dimensional, three dimensional kind of way. That's the way I think. Fair enough. It. I don't know if that's right though. You know what I mean? Ask like, one of. Uh, I know, dude. I ask every. I ask I know more shapers than anybody probably. Yeah, right? but the problem is, I ask these guys all these things, and they all give me different answers. Yeah, there's a lot. It's true. You know, it's yeah. like there's. There is objectivity, but then there's also so much kind of playroom. And a different interpretation of yeah, it comes back to that whole egg thing because I've I've heard it been said that the egg really refers to the rail shape really? on the rail. Yeah, that it's Being an eggy shape. rail. Really? Yeah, I've never. And it has nothing that. to do with it, and that comes secondhand from Skip Fry through Sam George. I've never heard Skip actually say that, but right, right. Sam has told me that that's that Skip at one point said, "Sam, it's not about the outline of the board; it's about the shape of the rail. Wow. It's an eggy rail." Huh? Yeah, but well, here's the thing is, question. what I was getting to is that Skip today would be like, "No, I never said that. It is about the outline of the board." Like, there's so many different. Well, my other question to Skip would be, is it the butt of the egg or the top of the egg? Because those are different shapes, <laughs> right? That would imply two very different rail shapes. I think at that point he would probably ignore us. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, what was I going to... Something else about Skip Fry. Oh, I don't know, but I'm we have an incredible it. Skip Fry transition era, 1967 V-bottom in the auction. Nice. Super beautiful board, no reserve. Wow. Yeah. I'll start oh, We've got a lot of boards at no reserve. I would say that of the 70-plus lots in the auction, I bet... 60 of them are no reserve boards. Mm. And there's some really prime ones. I'll start out the Like bidding. a George Downing gun, no reserve. What? Oh, yeah. 
I know you told me that last time. I don't know why I act surprised. That was insincere. <laughs> um, you know what I was going to ask you, actually? What? With the off-air last time, we were talking about fish. Yeah. And you were saying there's a school of thought coming straight out of kind of the Steve Liss theory about yeah. the points in the tail of the fish need to be 17 inches apart. Yeah, 17 that? inches. Yeah, that's what I've heard from the guys, from the real fish guys, you know, down in San Diego. So for it to actually be defined as a fish, regardless of the shape of the tail, those points need to be 17 inches apart. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And anything else, once they start to get narrowed up, like the way Carl Hayward would do the rocket fish in your part of town up in Huntington, that's why he called it a rocket fish because he pulled the tail in a little bit. There's more curve in the outline, especially down there. And so he's like, well, it's not really a fish. We'll call it a rocket fish. You know what I mean? Like a, a fish for these beach breaks that we ride at Huntington Beach Pier. Right. Or in Newport, which they were doing. But that's what I've been told. Um and that comes from a pretty good source. Right. That the fish for, and again, that was 25, 35, 40 years ago. That's nobody really, nobody really adheres to that anymore. But that's just like back in the day when it was pure, it was like, dude, that's not even 17 inches wide. It can't be, you know. That's why it's more relevant to me or salient is because it came from 40 years ago when the board was invented. Right. Yeah. I agree. And so let's carry it the, on. That term fish, like many terms in surfboard design, have been co-opted and used in so many different ways um, that it's kind of good to bring it back to its historic you know, relevance, like when it, you know, in context. And things have been so diluted. I'd be... I want to go back and ride what they originally designed to find out why they designed it that way. Yeah. Because I've not ridden one that was 17 inches wide. Yeah. You know? No, there's a lot to be said for what you just said. Yeah. That ride ride a real fish. Yeah. You know? With keels, double ply wood, which I don't personally like. I'm not a big fan of wide-based, double-foiled wooden. I don't mind the wooden part so much, but I just think keels... I've never enjoyed the the feeling of a keel. Yeah. I've always had, my fishes have always had, and that's what's, when Steve Liss made me some boards, I asked him to make me what he's riding, and he, he rides standard, you know, MR, raked. raked normal normal fins without so much base on his fishes. Yeah. Uh, one final board-related question. Have you ridden a um, fish Simmons? Like the long fish. Josh Hall's making a bunch of them. Yeah, I actually did a long time ago. Um, I had Peter Johnson was working for, um, what was that company down in San Diego? There was KG. Was it KG? I don't know. Oh, Kane Garden? Kane Garden, yeah. Yeah. Kane Garden Surfboards. And he made me one. I think it was called like the Megalith Fish or something. It had some sort of like dinosaur name. But it was 8'4", Keels. Big keels. Um, and it was a cool board. I mean, those boards, look, you're obviously going to ride those boards in a different fashion than you would. You know, and you have to be open-minded to mm-hmm. what the board's meant to do. You know, you can't be expecting to, you know, I'm exaggerating, but you're not going to be doing aerials on these things. You've got to let the board work for you, you know. And it's a, once you start to get into these designs, it's about do what the board offers yeah. and and explore what the board offers and what it offers that makes sense, exploit that, you know? But right. if it's doing things that don't make sense, don't do those things, you know? Well, my kind of 
definition of the worst surfing styles come from surfers trying to impose their own will and ability level on a surfboard. That's the basis of all bad surfing. Whereas, you know, um, Tom Curran getting a the Black Beauty from Merrick, it's like a b- board designed for him for, let's say, J-Bay or whatever wave that he's going to be riding. And then he gets on that thing and just lets the board find its rhythm. And then he kind of applies some pressure at points, but he's allowing the board to do its thing. And that's where Phil Edwards found trim, you know, and like real kind of foundational stuff. And uh, with so that needs to always be your foundation. But Josh Hall was telling me about that board. He's like raving about that board design. And then I had a friend chiming in too. And he was like, dude, they allow you all kind of the paddle. Like if you're riding, the big ones are 10 feet, you know, and like 11 feet. So if you're riding one of those, it's like all the paddle power that you get out of a longboard or a glider, but they turn really well. Like they find trim and you get all that kind of beautiful old school kind of connectivity with the wave and the ocean, but then they turn and they have kind of a, not a high performance ability, but certainly a maneuverability that you never get out of those longer kind of point and shoot boards. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, because like say my glider, for instance, I have an Andrini glider. 11 footer. Yeah. And, and that board demands that the rail be you have to surf the rail okay i'm not going to step back on the tail and go okay time for me to turn the last you know 24 inches of the board with my back foot right you know like that's not going to happen it's got to be big rail turns all the time and trimming and big rail turns and long wide open arcs and so you're suggesting that you're getting all this big, deep rail bottom turn, and then you go back to the tail. And I'm just visualizing. I know you're not. Yeah. this might not be what you're suggesting, but I've always found those two things don't really coincide. Right. You can't get the best of both worlds. I'm not sure if you have to go back to the tail or not. Yeah. But because if are- you're not going back to the tail... If you're just turning, if you're going out onto the shoulder and laying your rail into the wave to do a cutback, well, you're doing rail surfing. Right. Right? And, yeah, the fin, the, the tail's obviously wider because it's a twin fin. It's a big fish, right? Right. right. So it's going to, I don't know, offer you some planing speed, you know, because it's wider. But that was the one thing about that Kane Gardens board was that I didn't, I was struggling with, because a big board like that, I want to surf it from the middle of the board. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to be back on the tail trying to like whip around 11 feet of nose in front of me. Right. I want to surf it from the middle and just surf it from the wide point. And if now you're suggesting, okay, I need to step back to get all the positive aspects of the board out of the twin fin tail, which, which, which is what I noticed on that board that I rode that yeah. Peter Johnson made. It was, um, you know, you had to kind of... St- to get the goodness out of that wide keelfish tail, you had to step back there. And I just want to stay in the middle of the board. Sure. Yeah, and I don't, uh, again, I don't know where you, if you have to turn from the back on those boards, but everybody who's ridden them has said really good things about them. I'm sure they're great. I mean, we, there's no such thing as a bad surfboard. Really? Yeah. Oh, I would. Just the wrong waves that you rode it in. All right, Mickey Munoz. Um, <laughs> I think this is worth discussing. Oh, yeah. This is the winning board, huh? Well, I almost dropped it. You almost dinged it. So David has in his hands the winning board from last year's Icons of Foam Tribute to the Master Shape-Off. We honored Al Merrick. 
And Rex Marischal from Australia won. He beat all of the shapers. And this is the winning board. And Roger Hines glassed it for me, and I appreciate Roger's craftsmanship and his hard work on this board. Yeah, so Rex's signature is on it. The Al Merrick Kelly Slater model that was made famous like in the 90s, Momentum film. Um, it looks like a rider, huh? A rider, meaning it's rideable. Yeah, it looks uh, kind of sexy. It will, dude, hold it. There is so little foam in that thing. I cannot believe I grew up trying to ride boards like that. It was a freaking disaster. It's why, I've, it's why I've never gotten good at surfing. Um, I will definitely take a picture of this. Chop hop going. You got the chop hop and no shave going today, dude. By the way, what? I went no shampoo for a while. You gave up on it, though? I gave up on it. Why? Did you go five days? Yeah. Okay. My wife did, too. Really? Yeah. Wow, I'm really influencing the Bass family. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, and it didn't work out for you? So what I was saying, I'm back in front of the mic, obviously. What I was seeing was I went for the no shampoo deal, which David hasn't shampooed his hair in four years. Over three. Over three years. <laughs> kind of looks like it this morning, I got to say. I'm growing it out. <sighs> got enough of the chop hop like heat from you guys. I'm going to so- grow it out a little bit. <laughs> so I didn't wash my hair. I was trying to go for it. I'm like, let's try this. My wife listened to the podcast. She's like, and she looked it up. She like looked it up online and looked into it and everything. And much like you did. And um, I tried, and then I went on this trip with my daughter, and my head was itching, and it felt dirty, and I said, forget it, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. And I washed it and conditioned it, and it felt so good. That was the day that you have to push past. You were one day away from glory. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not kidding. It got, mine got unbearable yeah. in that kind of five days. I think it was five days for me, three years ago. Yeah. And then just pushed right past that and woke up one morning and went, oh, this is the first day of the rest of my life. Wow. It's like yeah. kicking heroin. You just got to hang in there. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> my buddy coincidentally texted me this morning at 610 and he goes, hey, day three of no shampoo. Um, and I never discussed this with him. This must He just listens, I guess. He said, now the no shampoo thing isn't a question. The only question for me is uh, if it'll work for me. I have solidly nice hair in general all the time, but... This morning, curls returned that haven't been there in years, and it's showing promise. And I said, dude, the best is yet to come. Wait till day five. And then he sent me a <laughs> Surfers photo. Surfers are the worst. <laughs> How embarrassing is this conversation, dude? I don't find it embarrassing at all. This is reality, man. Hey, I got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, incidental to that, but when was the last time you went to the dermatologist? Um, I Like recently, you know, like I want to say um, – Within six months. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had, so you I had a scan, you know, for, for skin cancer, you mean? Screening? Yeah. You go all the time? I had this um, thing on my toe, like this growth on my toe, like an ingrown toenail type thing. And um, I think I stubbed my toe and my toenail grew back weird. And I don't know. Oh, I did stub my toe. I remember I was running down the beach at D Street this summer to go surfing. Like it was going to be my third session of the day. My wife gave me the green light. And I was with her. She was walking the dog, and I was running down the beach, and I st- stubbed my toe into a rock and, like, really bad. Like, I had to turn around. Wow. Give up my surf session. There was a massive flap of skin. Oh, worst. It was a bad one. And, and it was actually right before I was going to the, to the inland surf park. I went to the oh, inland yeah, surf yeah. park with the thing. Anyway. The flap is the worst. Uh, was, when you're paddling and it's flapping in the uh, water. 
Oh, is there no it's worse feeling? Unbearable. <laughs> it's unbearable. An appendage is loose from your body. It really swinging feels like back that. and forth. Yeah, and it's just like a quarter inch tear. It's like no big deal, but it feels terrible. Yeah. Go ahead. Anyway, so that I went to the dermatologist to have that fixed. Okay, so that are you saying that it didn't heal? I mean, that's obviously just stubbing your toe. That has nothing. No, to well, do with it healed wrong, and there was oh, okay. it was like such a weird cut and flap. Like there was like two different layers to it. It was okay. just it was it was not it was mean looking. Well, um, the reason why is I'm doing an ongoing PSA about people screening themselves for skin cancer oh, because um, you can die from it and it's completely avoidable. Number one, you can mitigate against it with sunblock. And number two, you can identify it. There's other forms of cancer that are very difficult to detect until they're in like their fourth stage and then you're, you know, you've got a death sentence. Skin cancer is not one of those. Skin cancer is avoidable and uh, identifiable. So you got to get screened. First of all, wear sunblock. I know you wear sunblock and a hat sometimes. And, uh, a visor. A visor. And I, <laughs> I like to make fun of that because yeah, it's fun. First of all, you're only protecting your face. You're not protecting your bald spot with, this, with the visor, Scott. So you might want to rethink that hat, that uh, headwear choice. Anyways, um, I'm glad to hear that you are diligent in getting screened i am it's it's important and i'll thank my wife for that because i I don't like going to the doctor but she kind of forces it on me it's always the females in the family which by the way that's first line of defense you know it's important to have people around like because even if you go to the dermatologist it's once a year once every six months your family is there all the time so let them screen you you know we've been talking for quite a while and we haven't even looked at our notes yet who cares right well Good we show today, mention, Scott. You want to get out of here? <laughs> we stuff. should mention the sad passing of Willie Morris. Um, and I've looked all over the place, and I can't figure out how he died. Mm. It doesn't say in any of the – which I always find is that's kind of a red flag. I hope that's not the case, that it was some sort of, you know, sad – I mean, it's all sad. But anyway, Willie Morris, an underground pro surfer from California. He's known for, you know, just being this one-of-a-kind type of guy. Kind of like a Joe Trapel, like give you the shirt off his back, very sincere in it, expects nothing in return, a big smile, and a great surfer. And um, a colorful surfer, had colorful wetsuits and colorful boards. Back in a time when where I grew up in San Diego, it was black wetsuits and white boards. And if you had color, you were trying to stand out and be, you know, it was looked, it was frowned upon. Because why? Because surfers are the worst. But anyway, sadly, Willie passed in his, I guess in his sleep. But again, I have. Have you found out how he died? I didn't even think about it. He no. was a big man. I don't know if he had some heart disease in his history, uh, in his family, or what. It's, it's really. A, I shouldn't uh, speculate. But anyway, unexpected passing. A lo- he was beloved surfer, beloved guy. Fifty-six Everybody or loved so. Him. Yeah, fifty-four, fifty-six. Like yeah, um, yeah. Work. I think he worked for Quicksilver for a long time. Yes, he did. So, which big is, fisherman, Santa yeah. Barbara guy. Um, you know, he's uh, always out at the islands out there fishing. I'm sure he surfed a lot at yeah. places which we'll, we won't mention. <laughs> um, Surfers are the worst. So, Scott, Margaret River is starting today. The last, I know. The last two days were on lay days. It looked like they got waves on the lay days um, from the free surf stuff. But the event is actually scheduled to start today. Yes, yeah, winds are dying down, right? Forecast They're, looks good, right? Yeah. Do you know where we're running? 
I don't know where we're running, but I'm pulling up my fantasy team. Not that it's about me or anything, but... I just reset mine when I was waiting for you to show up. I kind of need to look at mine. All right, we'll do it off air. I actually already did it. Okay, good. I did it. Um, but here's my question. Do we yes. stick with Griffin Colapinto? Because this, this is a wave... At first, I was like, well, this is one wave where it's kind of spread out. It's If you haven't surfed there before, it's not as easy as you think. And then I thought to myself, but wait a minute, didn't he win Sunset? Like he's surfed in these big open arena waves and he's done well. Now I'm sure he surfed Sunset. Sunset's actually a pretty relatively simple lineup if you've surfed it enough. Now granted, there's different peaks and it's moving around and stuff, but the guys that surf there know how to figure it out. And I'm sure Margaret River's like that too, but I don't know if he's surfed Margaret River before. So I'm worried about Griffin. I did keep him on my team, but I'm worried about Griffin. I'm keeping him because I bought him when he was cheap yeah. at the beginning of the year. And so, how much did you buy him for, by the way? Because I ha- he's five million on my team. Okay, I, I picked him up late. Yeah, it looks like four point five. Okay, um, which maybe I didn't have him at Snapper and I bought him for Bells because at Snapper he would have been three million. Yeah, that's um, what I did. At any rate, what I loved, I don't. You and I haven't talked since Bells ended. How good was Italo Ferreira? gnarly that guy was surfing so good and he's somebody we're gonna have to keep our eye on because as the commentators mentioned he had an injury last year that was holding him back yeah i had him on my team at points last year i thought he was the new thing the new aki and apparently he is the new aki plus felipe toledo right. which is a crazy combination yes so what what i think is interesting is the pressure, the, oh, well, man. the embrace of him. Like, I don't remember any other specifically Brazilian who has come along and, like, in this Bells event, dashed mix swan song, perfect story of his final event of the season. He would have retired in the number one position. He makes it all the way to the final. He's winning the final. Idolo needs a wave. Idolo gets the score, and everybody applauds Idolo. I thought for sure everybody would be like, Go Mick F Idolo. No, because Idolo surfs that good. And he's also that gracious. In his post-eat interviews, he's super charming. Everybody likes him. I don't know a person who doesn't like him. And I don't know a person who is bummed to see him win. Even though we all wanted Mick to win, we weren't bummed to see Idolo win. And I think that is interesting. I'm not even sure he's Brazilian. Oh. <laughs> what do you think? I agree he is, with Scott? you. I don't what know, do but he, he's 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 a likable guy. No, I'm just teasing. So is Felipe. Um, Well, that's the thing. Felipe is also very likable, but for some reason doesn't have... He's still fighting for acceptance in certain ways, whereas... Well, because you feel like Idolo will will charge 30-foot Chopu and and laugh about it. You know what I mean? And Felipe, you're like, "Uh, okay, uh, my ankles hurt. (laughs) Right, his shoulder. So, okay, or is it... So it might be that, and is it that Adriano kicked down a big door with a world title win. That's a good good. Point. Gabriel comes through, kind of widens the berth for everybody. Yes. Felipe, at the same time, is clearing lots of ground for everybody. And there's just this wide open acceptance now. I think that's now. a very good point. There's a wide open acceptance now. Idolo has all the fundamentals of the Aki thing that you're talking about, plus all of the excitement of Gabriel and Felipe, plus... All the, the like groom- ability and the grooming of like learning English and like being on the road for his whole life and all that sort of stuff. And then the likability. And now it's just full acceptance. I, I think you totally nailed it. Okay. If, if I was an editor, I'd say, go write that story. That's a great point. And, okay. and that must be why, because 
I've embraced Ela from the beginning. Now he and he came onto the scene two years ago, like wildfire, like he was insane. Remember, he was absolutely he was incredible. Remember end sections at cloud breaks, smashing him over dry reef, right. and we were like, and he took out Kelly, I think, in round three, and we were just like, oh, I must have hated him for that. That was reckless. What was he thinking? He's going to learn his lesson because later in that heat, Kai Otten pulls into a. Uh, a double right <laughs> pulls into a double up closeout that bottoms out and he ends up hitting the reef and getting injured and pu- withdrawing from the event and so it's like oh well Idolo's gonna end up in the coyote position he'll learn his lesson and he'll come back more timid never has he was surfing and saying it and i will say this too about the this last event and the reason that they were cheering him on part of it that you didn't mention is that i think mick getting to the finals was like okay everybody's happy you know, and if he was to win it, okay, that's full on cherry on the cake, but the icing's already on the cake. Right. The f- fact that he got to, to where he got, not that he's not good enough to get there, but I yeah. mean, you know, you just kind of felt like last event, he's in the finals, he's at Bells, everything else is gravy, and oh, too bad he didn't win, but it was incredible surfing by the other guys, so we got to give our hats off to him. Right. And so I think a lot of it was that. that, that and God, wouldn't it be weird to retire with the yellow jersey? Was he going to retire with the yellow jersey? He would have. That's like, Would you retire? Yeah. That's like Seinfeld going out on top. When he quit his show, it was like number one show. Everybody's the highest paid actors on TV, and that's when you go out. So you know, the question is, which of these pro surfers would actually do that and which wouldn't? I believe what, you, what you're saying is that Mick wouldn't. I mean, he would retire with absolutely. the L jersey, and I believe that. Yeah. Name some surfers who would never do that. Kelly. Kelly Slater. Kelly's going to go out with a whimper you know what i mean like with an injury and struggling to stay on tour i know it kind of feels a little michael jordan like yeah by the way i think when he won his sixth or no when he won his 10th world title i don't know was that 2000 and i forget when it was but actually when i think when he won his sixth world title before he retired one of them i wrote a whole thing for surfer magazine about leave right now dude you've got it all yeah, you're, yeah. you're like ready to go you know and this was in like it might have been 2006. I forget when it was, but it was before the 10th. And then after the 10th, you're like, okay, now for sure. You've got 10. Round number. Yeah. Call it quits. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. Like, I'm not questioning no, Kelly's I'm not either. legacy. I want but him on tour. I think he's still, I think he could, you know, if he, but he's just not focusing, right? He's well, he's not focused stuff. and he's injured. That's he's a problem. So. I'm reading the Tiger book, Tiger Woods book right now. There's a brand new Tiger Woods book. It's really good. And there's a lot of stuff about injury and about being the best and being groomed and, you know, this whole thing. And there's some parallels to to Kelly. So wouldn't it be interesting? You drew the connection to Michael Jordan. Michael's foray into baseball is Kelly's foray into golf. Well, it's funny that you should say that. Is it? Because I have a story right here that I'm going to bring up. funny? No, just coincidental funny. Oh, okay. Not even funny, just a coincidence. All right, and then we're going to come back to Bells because i got other things on that. While the 42nd edition of the Ryder Cup is going to kick off on Friday, September 28th. The rivalry will begin on Tuesday in September with the Ryder Cup Celebrity Golf Match. Part of the week-long schedule of events in Paris this September, the match will see eight celebrities from Europe and the USA compete in a nine-hole scramble at Le Golf National. I don't know what... what I, I think that was my French accent, but... This year, the celebrity teams will comprise of a mix of stars from the world of film, sport, and beyond. Over the coming weeks, both teams will be announcing their celebrity participants. 
with Jamie Dornan and Kelly Slater being the first two to be confirmed for Europe and the USA, respectively. So Slater's competing in the Ryder Cup in France in September. And um, that's probably right after the Surf Ranch event. Yeah, it's the same month. Yeah. Funny. So anyway. We, we had golfers we, at Surf Ranch this last week, too. I saw that. Adam Scott and and um, Cab- Cab- Cabrello Bello, Bello Cabrello, uh. Miguel Cabrello Bello, or whatever his name is. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been told that Adam Scott has is a silent owner of Firewire. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yes. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Um, pro surfer or pro golfer Adam Scott. Right. By the way, I forgot to tell you an hour ago. I brought a donut if you want it. Oh, my God. You need a snack? Thank you. Snacky snack. It's so good, dude. Is it? Sidecar donuts in Costa Mesa. It's not like hemp or anything, is it? No. <laughs> oh, my God. It's half a donut. Half you ate half and went, uh, I'm feeling it's, sick to my stomach. It's unbelievable, but yeah, I only wanted a bite or two. Buttermilk strawberry. It is good. How good is that, dude? Really good. So Thank sidecar you. donuts, it's all like very interesting um, ingredients and like high quality ingredients, very interesting donuts, but it's their five-year anniversary today. Uh, so I swapped, stopped by and indulged, took half of the donut and was like, that's enough. So one um, thing about bells that I'm that I know you're going to kick let's kick back the bells because there's one thing that I noticed that really bummed me out. Oh. And this is in respect to the WSL's production. And I hope you saw this. Round 1 during round 1 Owen Wright was about to go out for his heat. He was waiting on the stairs talking to his coach the little micro. <laughs> and the camera is there picking Diminutive up diminutive micro. <laughs> the camera is there and it's picking up sound. So you can if the situation was perfected, the commentators, and I think it was Joe and Martin, Martin. would have shut up yeah. and let us listen to what was going on because they were having an insane conversation about strategy for this heat. Round one heat between Owen Wright and the little Irishman, Glenn Hall, talking. And I can't believe it. I was screaming that during the conversation between the athlete and the coach, the commentators were like, you know, talking about whatever it was, and it wasn't anything important. Right. It was really bumming me out. And so 
I'm being hypercritical, but this is the type of thing that's going to push the production quality over the edge. They need to do more of following the surfers around when they're talking to their yeah. coaches and picking up on those conversations because some of the most interesting conversations you'll hear in a golf broadcast is between the caddy and the golfer when they're deciding on what club to hit mm -hmm. and what's going on and, and you know the process, the discussion. So production team, the production director over there at the WSL, please, and I'm sure he was tearing his hair out too, going, why are these guys talking right now when we could be listening? Let's try to do our best to continue to pick up those conversations and make sure that the uh, broadcasters don't step on those. Why you got to give Micro such a hard time for being small, dude? I His name is Micro, and then you add a qualifier on top of that, the tiny Micro, <laughs> the small Micro. You, know, you got to mix in a synonym. <laughs> An insult occasionally. No, okay. I wasn't. Look, the guy's a great coach and a great surfer, and I'm a big fan. And a small human being. He's got a nice, he's very humble. Yeah. I, I like, I, I respect, I wish I had some of that humility. Well, okay. What's interesting with what you're saying, um, it seems that the WSL strategy is to stay away from silence. It's like, let's fill an entire broadcast with talking. And I don't think that that's necessary. And especially if you look at sports like tennis, it's the exact opposite. It's like, we're only going to commentate when the ball's not in play. That would be interesting to see the WSL do. Just let things breathe a little bit. Because, first of all, it's almost impossible to fill eight hours with commentary. I would. You make a great point, and they should for sure explore it yeah. and try it. And, you know, does every single check turn, bottom turn, off the lip need to be PT'd out the window? You know, that's like PT back in the 80s, you know? Yeah. We can see it. Yeah, we're watching. Yeah. And I think... It also opens up opportunities for things like you said. Um, somebody did send me a message in the last day or two saying that the Tour de France is a great example of an all-day broadcast that never seems to run out of interesting things to say. Because we've given um, the commentators kind of a free pass at times where it's like, they're boring us, but... They have eight hours to fill, and that's a hard job, and there's not enough to talk about. So the WSL needs to prepackage material to cut to during lulls, blah, 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 blah. But he goes, no, no, no. The, the Tour de France actually is always compelling and always has things to talk about. Their, their commentators and broadcast team do a great job. So those are a couple of examples to look to. So one thing that uh, I was curious, two things that I want to talk to you about. The adjusted scale for the scoring we need to discuss and then the zeke versus jade john john florence kind of paddling thing what do you want to discuss first i'm eating my donut right now um how was that by the way it was freaking good Best I, need, donut, I need a right? drink though i need some tea um okay let's talk about the zeke thing okay zeke and john john fascinating loved it everybody loved it everybody thought it was great compelling dramatic sport and you know that i've been a big fan of of i don't want to say hassling but it's an important part of the athletic endeavor that is surfing yeah which is you know paddling for position getting position on on your fellow surfer surfers are the worst by the way um so you know i think last episode i suggested we look at tweaking the um, priority rule so that at certain places we implement a stricter one and at certain places we loosen up the rule a little bit. 
Um, so from that standpoint, purely from a drama standpoint, what was everybody talking about? They were all talking about that. Guess what that means? More of it, people. You know, and now I'm not saying like we have fistfights or anything like that, but within the rules, with, I think that they need to start massaging this thing a little bit so that we get because that was extremely compelling and and it was telling told us a lot more about John John than it did about Zeke. Um, and in fact, there was a narrative that went out there that hey, this is how you can now beat John John is just getting his head paddle paddle circles around him because he'll never. You know, be the one that initiates because he's so good. He's like, dude, I'll take wave two or three leftovers and bust an aerial and kick your ass in this heat. Right. And uh, so, the, and then what's even more interesting was the karma that came back to Zeke because I think the next heat, he got nothing. He surfed against Idolo and Idolo just absolutely destroyed him. him. Yeah. yeah. And I remember watching going, oh, this is karma right in your face. Yeah. Now, you know, whether that's the case or not, I don't know. But certainly that's what I thought. I'm like, wow. Well, I think... Because his post-heat interview was pretty... Zeke's or John Zeke's Jones? was pretty, hey, this is what you got to do to beat him. We've been doing this forever. He's my buddy, but I'm going to... I'm, You know, and I think if, you know... I guess my thought is you can't do multiple things really well. And... If Zeke is putting a lot of energy towards that type of the tactician side of it, then he's going to go up against Idolo, who's focused on surfing really well. And it's like, unless you're 100% focused on your surfing, you're not going to be able to take Idolo down. And Idolo just proved who the better surfer was, which is a little embarrassing for Zeke. Um, maybe he doesn't feel embarrassed by it, but it's like, if you're going to hang your flag on being the tactician, you're going to have the legacy of Damian Hardman, which is like, you won a world title and that was rad, but you're forever known as the tactician. You're not known as Curran. We don't even reference Tom Curran's world titles because he's just such a beautiful surfer. The world titles don't matter. Don't. You know what I mean? He transcends so, the world title. So it's kind of like I get it and Zeke did what he had to do to get through that heat and I I honor him and like admire him for that. But you're going to need to... And his surfing actually showed up. He got sevens in that heat, I think. So he surfed well, too. It wasn't strictly tactical. Um, but you can't depend on that solely. And he probably knows that. Yeah, and, and I thought Zeke surfed great. You know, I, I, I don't know, dude. I've always loved Zeke up until he made it on tour, to be honest. He does those turns that have release. Like, big frontside arc and then a wah! Where it, like... It comes to an end, yeah, and then he goes into something else, and then yeah. a wah. It doesn't flow. No, it's no flow. Like Julian Wilson, all flow. John John, all flow. And it's like cutting it short like that. Kind I think of makes Zeke's me feel good for the tour, though, because because of what he brought to that heat, the, the heat, yeah, the heat against John John. Like I like that there's a Hawaiian presence, and when I say that, I mean like a big mean guy. And I know Zeke's not mean, but. He can put off an era of, you know, you're going to have to deal with me in Hawaii. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And there's something that's good about that. I don't know what, but I, you know, it's good that it's not a bunch of, hey, he's my bro. We're going to go out for burritos after, you know, like right. that there's like a Sonny Garcia type person on tour, you know, that there's a guy that you're like, oh, I don't really want to run into this guy in the hallway. You yeah. know what I mean? And Zeke, I think, brings that. And I think that's important. I think there's, it's, it's, it, it adds to the fabric of the tour, you know? Right. I agree. And I think more importantly, I think it brings out the best in John John and other competitors. I do feel well, like... Well, it brought out the worst in John John. 
No, I think it brings out the best going into Margaret, though. Oh, well, we'll see, right? It, yeah, it brought out the worst, or it, it um, exploited a weakness in him in Bells. But moving forward, I guarantee you, John John buckles down. Ross actually tightens up his game because that was a battle of coaches. And Snake outwitted Ross in that scenario. Good point. Um, and so I think moving forward, Ross and John John develop defensive strategies against that, but more importantly, offensive strategies in regard to not just surfing, offensive strategies in regard to catching waves and securing priority and creating a pressure on the opponent that doesn't have anything to do with your world title and your surfing ability. I would suggest to you that, you know, Margaret's an interesting place, right? If it's at main break, I would say continue with your strategy, John John. Continue just shredding being well and being kind of laissez-faire about priority just let it come to you because it's such a big playing field but if it's at north point there's a small little takeoff area at that point you might want to be like okay no more flags in the ground i'm planting it right here and you're not getting inside position you know what i mean and so it's going to depend it'll be interesting when it gets to a place where like say chopu or something where it's really about this takeoff area small and it's Zeke and John John. Hopefully we get a rematch and we see what happens. That will be a story that I hope gets excavated by the WSL. Can you so what happens? Predict what do you think happens next time those guys meet? Who wins well, who wins? I don't know who wins, but I think what will happen is they'll probably paddle each other too deep. I bet what happens is John goes, look. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to paddle Zeke up the point, let him take the first wave and get a closeout. I'm going to swing for the wide one. I mean, it's all hearsay at this point. We depends don't know. on the spot, too. Yeah. I mean, it, it, so much of it just depends on what's happening right in the moment. Yeah. You know, it's hard to be – you can only coach so much. You know, at some point you got to be like, look – You've got to take the bull by the horns here and determine what's the best strategy. Going into it, don't give up priority. But if he's going to paddle you into no man's land, then give him priority, but sit on him so he's going to get a closeout. And then scramble like hell to the right takeoff spot and get the third wave. Yeah. I think Zeke was right to do what he needed to do to get through that heat. But I think that the lo- the short-term kind of strategy is going to haunt him in the long term. I think he's shifted John John. John John's going to shift into a new gear based on this. And forevermore, when they meet up, it's going to bode poorly for Zeke. I, we've never seen John John rattled before. We've never... John John has operated solely on raw talent and like this good vibe. He was sort flow. of anointed too, you know. He was sort of totally. like everyone on tour was like, "Oh, it's give him the wave," you know. He's the new guy. We want to watch him surfing. Yeah, but now I think that there's an aggravation, an anger, a fury that we've never seen in John John before. The likes that we saw of Kelly Slater when Andy brought that out in Kelly, which caused Kelly to go from that six world titles that you were telling him to retire on to then going on and winning five more. You know what I mean? It'll be interesting. Competition brings out the best. I agree. This is why this was such a good thing. And I I think everyone realizes it and why we should massage the priority rule more at certain locations. I do wonder which of these pro surfers is going to take what, because what Zeke did is basically go, look, we've got a new strategy for John John. If you want to employ it, you can. He's telling the rest of the tour. So you look at these guys and you go, which one of these guys is actually going to do it? Or which one of these coaches is going to actually tell his surfer to do this? Like, for instance... I could see Will and Cardoso going, you know what? This is a time where I'm going to hassle the shit out of John John. Will is big enough to hassle Zeke. 
Right. You know what I mean? And and then there's others that are going to be like, you know what? I'm That's just not who I am. I'm never going to do that. Yeah. Like, you know, um, it, it might even be somebody like, Matt Wilkinson. I don't see Matt no, Wilkinson Griffin hassling. Colapinto. I can't imagine hassling. Right. Especially your rookie year. Yeah. But so it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. An interesting thing that you mentioned that I thought we should bring up real quick is just how close in personality uh, Zeke and his coach are and how close in personality Ross and John John are. So um, you've got... Um, Patterson, what's his first? Jake. Jake, Jake the Snake Patterson. He's he's he, dogged. He's gnarly. Like yeah. he's like Aussie bloke to the nth, you know. And he, he his personality is kind of like Zeke's. Like they're both like, I'm going, bro. Mm -hmm. You know, like. Argh. And Ross is kind of laissez faire. Oh, yeah, it's cool, you know. So that's kind of interesting. They've they've chosen to work with coaches who are similar to them rather than contrast right and maybe not by choice but just by subconscious yeah and by the way jake i believe won at margaret's in the past oh uh, he's Main won break. a lot yeah i'm sure he has he's... i think he's won twice out there actually yeah um interestingly tyler brewer out in new york city um from swell, swell? season yeah sent me a note saying fabio govea did the exact same thing to martin potter back in the 90s and it worked the exact same way Martin Potter or Fabio Govea paddled circles around pots, just like Zeke, Zeke did to John John, which by the way, we didn't say for anybody who didn't see that it wasn't just a battle for priority. They battled for priority. And then after Zeke got the first wave, he paddled back out and literally did a circle around John John, like a shark yeah. tracking its prey. Yeah. And John John said even paddled over his board. Right. So it's not like he went three feet out and did circles around him. He tight concentric circles around John John. So John John sitting in the water just going, what the F is this guy doing, dude? But it rattled him enough to where John John got two waves and he fell on both of them. Finished the heat with like a 9.43 heat total or something. Yeah. So Tyler mentioned, and Tyler's a great resource of like historical knowledge. Yeah. Um, it was like, yeah, Fabio Govea did the same thing to Potts and it did the exact, Potts got rattled and lost the heat because of it. I'd love to hear Potts um discuss this i know i'm shocked that pots didn't bring it up actually yeah it's bad well, memories <laughs> you know I, i'll tell you one other thing i want to mention about this is that uh, the contest i mean the bells event for years you and i would talk about patrick godowskis and i'd be like the guy doesn't deserve to be on tour he's not good enough to be on tour for whatever reason i was kind of like anti-pat godowskis i gotta say that pat godowskis totally flipped the switch on me like he went to a whole nother level of professionalism and he finally just said i'm not letting anyone i'm not going to let myself snatch defeat from the jaws of victory and he he went to a whole new level to a whole new place of um he just changed his mental approach like he basically for the first time said fuck you and i appreciated it and did you sense that in his surfing? Like he went all out. He gave 150% on every turn. He surfed phenomenally well. And I thought he was deserved of everything he got. I'm disappointed he Semis didn't go further. Qu some quarters he maybe? He surfed like a man. And it was really about him putting aside this whole, hey, everything's groovy, you know, Gadaska's clan. We're all about positive vibe, warrior. But, you know, that's all bullshit. When it's time to get into the heat and win a contest and surf the way you're supposed to surf he like 
he was like doing massive man like he was and it wasn't even the turns although the turns were impressive it was his mental you could tell mentally he had flipped the switch like I got screwed in that first round heat. Was it the first round? Against heat? Jordy. Yeah, I got screwed against Jordy, and I am not letting these fuckers take it from me. And he went all out. And I've got to say, I'm a huge fan of the way he surfed and his mental, the switch that happened mentally with him. And he needs to grasp that, hold on to that, and continue that and ditch the whole, you know, everyone's cool. We love them all. It's all cool. That's bullshit. Yeah. It's a fucking surf contest. You're out to win it. Man, you're on fire, dude. Well, I'm just stoked I, on Pat. Pat Gadalsis got me there. He, he got me fired up. I, you know, I'm... Um, Did you notice this? I Completely. I'm motivated by everything that you just said. I'm almost inspired to believe it. <laughs> but I'm on the fence. I'm we, on the fence we, with That's Pat. what I'm saying. We need to see this throughout the year. This can't that's be a, a... Well, but even what you're saying, yes, he did have that level of intensity. What I'm not convinced about is that... Um, it's on par with the Jordies and the Mick Fannings of the world. It's the best Pout Gadowskis we've ever seen. And I love Pat's style and that excitement that you're talking about. But it's a diff- It's just a higher degree of Pat. I agree. I'm not sure that it's on the echelon of John, John, Jordy, Mick, the guys that are in like the top 10. There's a verve to his surfing that is super exciting to watch. But I'm not sure that the verve is actually... Um, got all of the flow, power, connectivity that you get from some of these other surfers on I tour. totally agree with that. Because it's kind of like all the energy goes zing into a turn. And then he sees another lip down the line. And then there's another zing into that turn. I, there's some, in my brain, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm not articulating it well enough. But it's kind of like I'm not sure that there's the same follow through and flow of energy that you get out of some of these other guys there was one wave it's a little technical yeah there, there was, so the first of all it really comes down to style maybe it does that's really what it there is. was one wave in particular i want to say it was in the heat that he lost against mick it was so exciting to watch this okay this is the way matt wilkinson used to surf when he won when he came on hot and won the first two events of the season two years ago I was saying the same thing about his surfing, where the exciting part of it is the spontaneity and the not knowing if he's going to fall. That's yeah. what it is with Pat. So yeah. this one wave in the heat that he lost against Mick, he got the set wave, and there was this crazy crumbling section that he's bottom turning in front of, and you're like, holy crap, is he going to hit the lip or is he going to go around the thing? And he goes straight into it, and the thing projects at him and he kind of bounces off and free fall drops and sticks it and you're like oh my god but his footing was off and then he goes straight into another bottom turn and you're like oh his footing's off is he going to do it again and he goes right into another lip that's falling and he does it again and you're like oh my god this wave's nuts and it's double overhead and then he goes into the third one also off balance and then falls on the third one and it was so exciting to see those first two. And even though they weren't as technically sound as Mick Fanning surfing, the unpredictability and the excitement of it made it so radical, you know? And that's something that Mick won't do and that other guys won't do. And if he had pulled off that third one, he would have got an 8.5 or maybe a 9 on that wave. But there's a failure. There's a, there's a, a fracture in the foundation of his surfing that then allowed him to fall on that third one. Whereas if he could have kind of just like reset, it would have take reset after the two that he landed and then maybe safety turned to the third one. 
it wouldn't have been exciting, but it would have secured the score. And that might be just a failure of the current judging criteria, but it's what Pat needs to do to then make a very kind of complete season. He had a complete event because he made the quarters or whatever it was. But it was just, again, the verve is the exciting thing. I'm not sure it's a world-class kind of... Well, look, I'm not saying he's going to be a world champion. Yeah. I think if he wants to break the top 10 and remain in the top 10 and be in the top 10 and finish the season in the top 10, he has to corral the attitude that he had at Bells. He has to hold on to it, understand it, use it. If he goes out and is just like, you know, he can't be the old Pat. He has to attack, 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 attack. And that's going to get him through to, to a place where, you know, he, he stays on tour. I do love that uh, the positive attitude and not being disappointed by that tough loss against Jordy in round one. He came back with a lot of heat and then he absolutely tore round two heat to shreds. And then round four with the three man heat against Mick and Wilco, I think at Winky pop yeah, showed up and just went to town, got like two seven fives right out of the gate. Wasn't bothered by the world champ in his heat and the Matt Wilco in his heat. And then eventually Mick came back and won it at the end. And then they met again later. Um, and Mick won that as well. But it was like, it was great to see him. Un- he was unfazed. He was unfazed yeah. by the, by the hard losses. No, he, that's, you know, like I said, I think he's a little technical, a little mechanical. Um, he doesn't have the Uber flow. But um, he will fall off tour if he doesn't bottle that energy yeah. that I'm not going to let this hold me back. Yeah. I've tried. I've worked too hard last season to get back to where I'm at. Screw these guys. I am not giving up. Yeah. And that's kind of what was oozing out of his mojo in these heats. And I think he's got to keep that pedal to the metal. Yeah. He can't relinquish that. Yeah. I'm excited to watch. I'm rooting for him. I like. I am him. too. For the first, I couldn't believe I was rooting for him. Yeah. And I like Pat. As per, I mean, the whole family's great, but strictly from uh, a fan's perspective, um, you know, I was, I was hesitant to say he's a, one of the top surfers in the world, and I'm would love to see uh, him put it in my face. And the great thing is he's a charger too. Oh, you know, like no doubt about that. Later no in the doubt. season, if we get big waves at the. Chopu and pipe and all that, like he's going, he's oh, going sure. over the ledge. No, no, no. He's, he's so that's rad. He's got a he's got a second career in pro surfing as a big <clears throat> excuse me as a big wave world tour guy. Yeah. Well, there's question. The thing is, there's question marks later in the season for uh, Griffin Colapinto and Tomas Hermes and like all uh, a lot of the rookie class. Pat, it's like no, he can actually. He's been there. He's he's yeah. got way more experience. That drop at Cloudbreak, Kelly Slater said, right. is the gnarliest drop Kelly's ever seen. In that his was life. heavy. Yeah. That was really heavy. Um, how'd you feel about the adjusted scale for the scoring? Everything's trending kind of like tighter and downward. Like you have to work to get an eight. No freebies. I'm okay with it. Um, I don't. I don't remember going. Oh, the scoring's bad. The scoring's wrong. Or anything like that. Um, I think Rainbow sent us an email yeah. that addressed the scoring and how it was not good. That it's dumbing fully, it's dumbing everything down. That's what he said. I didn't fully understand the argument in the email. Did you or do you remember what it was? I rarely can understand much of his emails. <laughs> um, yeah, I read it thoroughly and then reread it. And I was like, I don't fully agree with it. I think it's a good thing. I think that the compressed scale is 
going to elevate everybody's surfing. And obviously last year there was the joke about you get a 10, you get a 10, you get a 10. It was like the J Bay event, you know, right, like right. it was ridiculous. We're handing out 10s. Yeah. And free healthcare for everybody. Yeah. And now it's like, no, 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 no. You're not even going to get an eight unless you really do something that we've never seen before or is the best version of. So I'm, I'm all for it. I think, um, congrats to Pratamo Arendt, the new head judge. His influence is noticeable right out of the gates. Yeah. So I'm in. So I don't know if you saw this. I happened to catch this the other day. I thought it was kind of cool. It's actually on Surfer Magazine's website. You may have talked about this actually in the past, but there's this company that, you know how they have those those fin rental programs? So there's mm-hmm. a company that does surfboards. Oh, yeah. It's called Awayco. Yeah, I'm familiar. Did we talk about this no. a couple of years ago or something? No, they're new. We did not talk about it. So Justin Hausman, who writes for Surfer Magazine and, and is a big part of the Encyclopedia of Surfing, uh, he he worked with Matt Warshaw for years on that. Um, he wrote this article about it, and I, it caught my attention. I thought it was pretty interesting. But basically, you 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 sign up for this rental program. I think it's sixty bucks sixty bucks a month, which equals what seven hundred and twenty bucks a year or something like that. Something yeah yeah. So that's about the cost of a new surfboard. For, so for seven hundred twenty bucks a year, you can try out relatively almost brand new they've been used but they're not you know they're not well well worn boards you can ride all sorts of different boards channel islands um js hayden Hayden. actually travis reynolds has a few boards with him because they have uh, travis reynolds they're out of san francisco right there's two of these warehouses in san francisco there's actually a coffee shop attached to one of them. it's not no they set yes you're right but they also set up a board carousel in already existing shops so the the hout shop in san francisco has a carousel there oh cool yeah um awaco it's taylor paul is one of the key guys involved in it and then they got a bunch of capital investment um and then a bunch of pro surfers are involved so there's insurance is, is already um cooked into the price yep uh it's easy you just go you set up they put the fins in for you you can order a coffee apparently talk to the guys while they wax it up away you go you return the board you get the board for five days you return the board you just put it on the ground and walk out i know um and and they're all around the world and yeah i guess you pick up another one at that point you pick up another you can you can yeah yeah it's rental so you get one board for five days it's a membership right it's a membership Yeah. yeah So you and they the idea is so that you don't have to travel with boards. So they have them in Australia, Hawaii, Southern California, Northern California. Oh, I thought it was like that's your board. That's that's the you, so. But can you use a board year round? Yeah, you probably could. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. That's where it makes sense. Is you just totally the problem is if you love a board, you got to return it every five days. Is that the deal? You know, I don't know the details. That was not my impression. My impression was, you know, you can always have a board in your possession. But when you want to try a new one, you just have to bring back the original one. Wow. So you can rent a board for the cost of a new board. I, I Look think into that's it. what it's it is. It's a Waco. Just do a Google for Yeah, Waco. Here's why I believe in it, Scott. Yeah. You and I get to ride new boards all the time exactly. because of our position yes. in the industry and whatever. Yeah. And even just being in Southern California and like having tons of shapers locally. Yeah. And I'm a huge advocate for that. Yeah. I think it's enhanced my surf experience, trying a lot of boards, trying a lot of different fins with a lot of different boards all of that. So I encourage other people to do it. The problem is there's an expense barrier for most people. You just can't buy a ton of different boards. Right. So this solves that problem for a lot of people. And that's why I advocate for it. I don't know um, about their business and how they're running it. And I'm 
trust that they're going to do a great job with that. But I advocate for just definitely giving it a shot, trying it, trying new boards, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it seems like a pretty cool thing. Yeah, my buddy, a buddy of mine has like a one board quiver. And I'm just like, dude, are you kidding me? You're blowing it. Like you need to try other boards, you know? What board if you could only ride one board for the rest of your life? Oh, that's a We've, I've asked you this before. A couple of years ago, I think I asked you this. No? Did you? Maybe you did. What's um, the one board? It's the rest a, of your life. I hate, Small waves, big waves, different conditions, different spots, travel. All okay. of that has to be considered. Okay. I don't have a firm answer, but I'm going to throw out a fish. I think a fish would give me enough versatility to ride a lot of different waves. Yeah. You don't think so? No, I mean, at, at this, at our age, that's yes. probably not a bad call. I'm, I'm, when I was not 21 a, and going to Puerto Escondido, a fish wouldn't be the call. So, right. I'm not going to be, it's not going to be a high-performance shortboard. I know that. Um, I'm not going to be surfing death-defying waves like Puerto Escondido very frequently, so it's not going to be that. It's not going to be a longboard, so let's eliminate that. That has very limited usage in my life. Relevant, but limited. Um, I think the fish would solve most problems. I could go surf overhead point breaks on it and I could surf mushy beach breaks on it. And those are my two kind of go-to. That's probably, that's pretty smart. I would suggest to you that a high performance longboard would be another one to consider. No, no, you lost me at high performance. longboard. (laughs) I know. I agree. It's, it's an oxymoron. It's like military intelligence. It doesn't make sense, but, but, uh, jumbo uh, shrimp, you could ride it at Puerto Escondido, a high performance longboard. Yeah. You'd break it. You'd probably catch one wave and break yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not into that. No. What would yours be? A, a fish makes sense. There, I, you know, I've got I've got a tweener that I think would be pretty good. It's like a four fin kind of a tweener between a high performance shortboard and a fish. Yeah. Which generally don't work good, but this one that Wayne Rich made me is insane. Mm. And I've ridden it. I've taken it on trips and I've ridden it in good waves, and it's got enough. I've got control of it enough so that when it's mental it'll still work yeah but what's interesting about that question is actually if you ask that question when you're 21 years old because my i've asked this question before of myself a long time ago when i was writing and i was working for surfer and that was one of the articles i wrote like what's going to be your board for the rest of your life and back then i was like 30 or whatever and that board that i chose when i was 30 is much different than the board oh, that I would yeah. choose now. And so you've got to think about it like, dude, when you're 60, are you going to be riding a fish? When you're 65 years old, are you going to be riding a 510? You can. Yeah, you're going to have It to- has enough volume. It okay. has enough leaderage right. for you to... Leaderage. <laughs> um, you can, but it wouldn't be ideal at that point, you know? Um, here's a question for you. What would be the one album for the rest of your life that you would listen to? You can only listen to one album from this point on. One album from this point on would probably be um, it'd probably be Exile on Main Street by the really? Rolling Stones. Yeah, wow, double album, bro. You got to get the most of it. Mine's a double album too, but that was uh, cover art by John Van Hammersveld. Yes, exactly. Of Endless Summer poster fame. Yes, yeah. exactly. Surf art guy. Um, mine would be Stevie Wonder's "Songs in the Key of Life." I That's think. a great one. Good choice. Double album. Tremendous diversity on it. Yes, um, you're a, gonna you're gonna get. I'm tired. gonna download that album. That's such a good album. I need to download that album. It is honestly one of my all. Do that favorites. right now. Um, you don't mind if I go into iTunes and do that? I think you should do it after the show. I was thinking about. Um, at first, I was like, maybe a Steely Dan greatest hits. Who are you, Chris Cote? <laughs> no, no, I've dude. Chris, Steely Dan's been ingrained in me. I have two older brothers that were both music guys, so. 
Um, and then the other one would be Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin, another double album that's really incredible, right? Yeah. You know what I've been exploring now with my uh, new record player, vinyl kind of thing? Van Morrison. Ah, oh, love Van Morrison. But like late Van Morrison. Not super late Van Morrison, but not like Moondance. And, uh, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. that's a great album. No, Terrible song, great no, no, album. I've got one for you that I want you to check out. It's hard to get. Tell me. It's my favorite Van Morrison. It's kind of, it's kind of emotional and it's very spiritual. It's called Poetic Champions Compose. Oh, wow. Poetic Champions Compose. Approximately what year is this? Mm. 80s, 90s? I think it's 80s. Okay. I'll dig in. Check it out. It's it's pretty rad. Okay. It's you know well, it's not before you go surfing music. No. It's, none of my music that I listen to is before you go surfing music. Because <laughs> you don't surf. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> uh, so the album that my buddy gifted me recently was Wavelengths. Yeah. Are you familiar with that one? No. I had never I might heard, be, but I had never heard a single song on the album. And but with as with vinyl, you just commit. You put it on and you commit and then you, you flip commit. it over and you commit. And then you don't even want to like unsleeve another album that evening when you get home from work. So you just play the same one over again. And I freaking fell in love with the album. And even though I didn't know a single song prior, I now love every single song on the album. So I always liked Van Morrison for the hits. I never need to hear Brown Eyed Girl again in my life. I agree. I never need to hear Moondance again in my exactly. life. But Sweet Thing, Into the Mystic, Caravan. Those like kind of deeper cuts I'm into, and now these other albums that really are lost to the radio kind of format. Like yeah. no radio stations play wavelengths. It's a phenomenal album. So do I add the whole album songs in the key of life to my library? You have to the whole thing. Okay. You have to the Guess. best. The best track is as, and then mm-hmm. of course, isn't she lovely? Is a great track, right. but as is right. the the gem on that album. Okay, I'm downloading the whole album right now. Um, Guess who loves Van Morrison? Probably his favorite. I just know this because I sat in a boat with him for like three days at the Tavarua contest in the year 2000. We shot photos side by side. Okay, so he's not a pro surfer. He's a photographer. He's a photographer. I'm going to say Tom Survey. No. Bielman. Brian Bielman. Really? We would just, because he would have his music going the whole time and we just had, I just remember him just being all about Van Morrison. I think he just added me on LinkedIn. I never check LinkedIn. I just get the Me notifications either. on my email and then I delete the email. And I keep telling myself once a week, I'm going to go on LinkedIn and like tighten my game up. And I never do. But I think I saw that come through. Um, so maybe I'll reach out I was, to him. I was squeezed between Survey, Bielman, and Sarge. It's four weird of us, that I picked the other guy. Four of us in a boat. In my guess. Wow. Uh, all legendary surf photographers. Yeah. Good job, Scott. You're in. in wow, believe me. I, they were like <laughs> looking at me. I was a total dope. Um, I was like, well, how do you load the film? This is, I was using film. That's how this is yeah. in 2000. Yeah. I think. Um, who's the big goofy foot from uh, Aki's buddy? The coach. Luke Egan won it. Luke, I remember that. Luke Egan won that against yeah. against um, Guillerme Hurdy. Yep. In the final. Luke's doing coaching now, too. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be a good coach. Did you ever see that fight he had on Instagram with Mark Healy? No. Like, like oh, a year ago? I think I heard about it. It was solid. Bit. He like posted something. It had some, to do with like Rourke or Ruka or something, or it had to do with uh, one of the- Depactus. Depactus, right. Yeah. And, and Healy got screwed by Depactus, yeah. and Healy kind of attacked Luke, right? Yeah, Healy, it was great. It was like uh, Luke just posted something random. It wasn't even about business. And then Mark Healy chimed in on the Instagram comments and was like, you know- 
life is long and you can't go around screwing people in business. Like you'll get what's coming to you or something like that. It was really gnarly. And it was like, Whoa, what's going on? I never got to the bottom of what was happening, but, um, too much coffee. I know. I loved it. And I love Mark. So it's like, and Luke, you know, he's cool, but curious what the real deal was. All right, dude, let's wrap up. Or I got musty moment, Duke and kook. And then if you have anything else, prioritize it. Cause okay. Well, here's one thing real quick. Yeah. New things are afoot at Lemoore. This is from the Hanford Sentinel. So the Kings County Planning Commission approved plans to not only take the surf ranch concept public, but also heard about expansion ideas well into 2026. An outline of these plans came in the environmental impact report at the Planning Commission a couple of days ago. The report offers a development timeline. The current permit in Lamar for the surf ranch allows only private use for the 155-acre site, including year-round operation and maintenance of the existing wave generation system. Daily operations and maintenance right now are between 6 and 11, staffed by up to 15 people. To this point, the facility has been closed to the public and only available for use by staff and consultants. A conditional use permit now allows the owner to open the facility to the public for private surfing lessons and programs in a limited number of annual professional international surfing events a portion of that 155 acre site would be dedicated to the development of additional prototype wave generation systems for special events up to six a year the facility will be staffed up to 30 people including ops guest services water safety blah 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 attendance is estimated to be up to 50 guests per day the applicant must also install up to six portable temporary lodging units for these guests Also, the facility will be authorized to host up to six professional surfing events a year, each approximately two to three days in duration, the first of these coming up soon. Other activities that may occur in conjunction with these events include ancillary musical performances, vending, tent, recreational vehicle camping. A temporary event infrastructure may include bleachers, sound equipment, lighting, blah, blah, blah. These special events will draw a crowd of up to 8,000 guests per day. Parking for the inaugural event coming up soon will take place at the West Hills College in Lemoore and the Tachi Palace for, in Kings County. Phase three of the proposed permit use of the Surf Ranch project will have allowed development of up to seven proposed ancillary structures and up to two proposed prototype wave generation systems. So what you need to get from all of this that I just read you, Dave, is they're going to be building more wave pools in Lemoore and they're opening it up to coaching, they're opening up to pub more public events, and uh, that's what's happening from the Hartford Sentinel. I was actually drive. I drove past Lamore this weekend. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it was a good thing. It was a, spent the weekend in Sequoia National Forest. Oh, that's cool, dude! It was Beautiful. amazing. But I wanted to swing by just for old times' sake. Take a photo <laughs> old times. Um, <laughs> Which I didn't know Kelly was re. I know it was closed throughout the winter, but apparently they just got that thing re going again this week. Yeah. Or just going again. I don't think it needs to re go again. Right. It's just going again. Um, very good, dude. Okay, so Cooker Duke? Yeah. I, well, must see moment, first of all. Red Bull's Cyclone Marcus footage. Um, they put together a little edit with Jay Davies, Dino Adrian, and Jack Robinson on this rare sand bottom right right hand dredger that's like 
20 feet away from the shoreline and just an absolute dredger. I don't know if you saw this footage. It's so gnarly, dude. These guys getting double. I mean, the barrel is overhead and then the lip is as thick as it is. Where is it? West Oz somewhere Uh, Cool. on this super rare cyclone, Hmm. um, cyclone Marcus. And the guys just scored. I mean, the only guys who could make these barrels are Jay Davies and Jack Robinson. The the drops are just insane. And just driving it, it, and it's close to shore, and it's dredging. It sounds like the drop is the hard part. Yeah. And then you just got to haul ass. Haul ass. And not be afraid. Of what? The sand? Double overhead. Yeah, I mean, it's just dredging. It's going to kill you. It's going to dislocate my shoulder. Below sea level. Gnarly. Yeah, it's so gnarly. I must see a moment. Yeah. John John Florence. On Instagram, I don't know if you saw this, but they're running some mock heats. They're surfing West Oz the other day. They're getting some sick little pits. It looks like it's the box or near the box or somewhere. Not, it wasn't, I don't think it was the box. No. But anyway, um, it's him and his brother and some other guys, and they see some splashing out the back, right? And so they come in, they stop their little mock heats they're running, they send up a drone, a shark drone to go out there, and they, sure enough, the drone footage catches two great white sharks right in the impact zone. And um, it's a pretty cool little bit. I put it up on my Instagram. I reposted it. But um, John John's Instagram is Parallel C, I think. No. That's his film crew that travels with him. Okay. That's what I saw it on. Yeah. His film crew thing. Yeah. They, they basically just post John John related stuff, but John has his own Instagram too. He also throws and catches a boomerang, that's which is pretty gnarly. Say. The highlight of that clip for me, the most impressive thing was the boomerang throw. Yeah. He throws it far and hard and catches it. Yeah, that thing's coming at you pretty hard and fast. That'll take off somebody's head, dude. How incredible is a boomerang? Just the concept. Like, who invented it? I know the aborigines invented it. But if I know anything. How long did it take to invent it? If I know anything from all the movies I saw in the 80s, yes. that's how you decapitate somebody. Is it with a boomerang? Oh, yeah. You saw some quality films. I think it was all Crocodile Dundee inspired. Right. Mostly. Um, Duke and Kook. Chad Towersy cuts off a guy in Newport Beach. Dude, we got the same. No, I'm assuming this is the Kook. I don't know. I don't know. I wrote, is this our Kook or is this our Duke? I'm not sure. Major Kook. First of all, don't even say his name. Oh, is he? I don't know who this guy. I've heard his name, but is he a nightmare? Is he? This is. This could be our. Surfers are the worst segment. This very much is. Okay, you know how like now with school shootings, the media has kind of taken a stance to never say the person's name so as not to like... Give him power? Yeah, exactly. Like Charlie Manson has become far more famous since since he orchestrated those killings than he ever was before. And his whole goal was to be a celebrity and be accepted by Hollywood. So we do not want to glorify this behavior at all. And I'm not saying... I agree with you. I saw it and I went, you know what? It's two feet. I I know the guy got dropped in on by some guy who's... Explain what you saw. I saw a guy... I saw a surfer on a small two to three foot day, soft little piddly day in Newport. The guy catches a wave... Another guy drops in on him. The guy be, get, that gets cut off catches up to him and pulls him down by the hair. Literally grabs the back of his hair. His hair. And hair pulls pull. him down. Have you ever seen a hair pull before? No, it was. It was. I would be embarrassed if it was me. Let's it put was that. Very way. embarrassing. Yeah. And so that's my kook. Yes, he is my kook as well. Um, now, for a lot of reasons, and I have a lot to say about this, Scott. So even though this is a closing segment, we're here for a long time. Um, and I got more emails about this than anything that I've gotten in a long time. So 
Yes. So to employ violence as an act of retribution when somebody burns you is already a kooky move. To pull their hair is embarrassingly kooky. He then, this not-to-be-mentioned person, uh, then posted a second video of it, I think this morning or last night, saying the reason why he did it was his board was so fast. He was riding a quad, and it was so fast that it projected him into the other surfer, and he put his hands out to stop himself, and it was all accidental. <laughs> Which I'm not sure if he is if this is now satirical and he, if he's making a joke, but based on everything else that he's ever posted, no, he is not joking. He's literally trying to use that because he's so embarrassed by the backlash that he's received. Okay, here's the thing, Scott. Yeah. Um, this guy is a scourge. His account is a scourge. I've gotten no less than four emails about this and probably 10 direct messages on Instagram. Right. Here's one of the emails. It says, hey, David. I'm a, I'm a clinical psychologist and a longtime listener. Tonight, I watched the aforementioned video of the guy surfing a one-foot wave at New, Newport Beach. In the video, the surfer is dropped in by another guy with long hair. He basically describes what you just described. He says, I have a few issues with this video. The guy doing the hair pulling is, identifies him and his relevance to the surf world, and he said, he's a middle-aged man who runs an account followed by about 20,000 or so 15-year-old kids who hold him in high regard. I followed his Instagram account for some time. Even though my wife swore he was a, a kook, I defended him and would state that his account was about fun and being positive. I was completely wrong. He would make fun, this person's Instagram account would make fun of a lot of people, and he couldn't seem to avoid high school level drama. I could clearly see he was a man looking for acceptance of any kind. I continued to follow for a while, mainly to study the psychological effects of social media on people. I found it to be an interesting case due to this guy's age. My cursory obs uh, observation is that more and more people are finding identity on social media. This is called uh, pseudo-esteem or pseudo-confidence. When somebody derives their self-esteem and identity from social media likes and clicks, the need for virtual validation begins to dictate their real-life behavior. I have seen this character, this particular character, get into all sorts of drama and verbal altercations on his social media feed and his live videos. In these altercations, he states to his opponents things like, you don't know who I am, and I'm going to blast you all over my page, um, all over my Instagram page to my <laughs> 20,000 followers. Right. Thankfully, most of the comments on today's video are negative towards his actions, but that doesn't matter. He will gain followers, and he will continue on his hollow journey of virtual validation this is the new norm and it is extremely worrying most people in these cases are actually a lot younger so it's sad to see a full-grown man doing it at his age but it always ends with depression of some kind you cannot fake existence for very long the actions in the one foot surf by this person were disgusting and everything I hate about surfing. How many times have you been dropped in on by somebody? It happens all the time and the, the reaction is not warranted. Maybe if it was in waves of consequence, you could somewhat justify behavior like that. I worry for the future when an angry middle-aged middle-class man seeks this type of validation from teenagers and, in, and wields so much influence over our youth. That's the end of that email. Another quicker one said, 
as a very as a fairly new surfer, I'm fully addicted to the lifestyle, but also fully disgusted by this video. Surfing is my new passion, and I love almost everything about it. I follow all the shapers and surfers on Instagram, and I spend much of my day deep in surf thought. Isn't surfing supposed to be relaxing and meditative? Where is the aloha? I've heard stories about localism and thugs protecting their breaks, and that makes sense in some cases, like Pipeline, um, where it's just a where it's just as much about protecting the people in the water as it is about respect. But that's not what this was. This was a child throwing a pissing party. Uh, seemed like a real kook, if you ask me. End quote. Okay, a good email that guy wrote you. Holy mackerel! And he's a clinical psychologist. Yeah, that's sad that somebody has to go to that level. So we're not going to, again, uh, promote this guy's account. No. Because I do think that all publicity, there's no such thing as bad publicity. But I'm sure a lot of people have seen it, and that is our take. I didn't even want to talk about it, but I'm like, dude, enough people are emailing us that we we have to say something. It was embarrassing. Yeah. Real I just, embarrassing. I just found it yesterday and was like, you know what? This guy's a kook. It's the most embarrassing thing i've seen in surfing and sometimes like i'm actually embarrassed to also surf those breaks i've seen that guy surf plenty like and he used to surf really well he still surfs good um and i'm embarrassed to even like kind of a doesn't he have a brother yeah 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 okay Okay. (laughs) there's another that's the other thing like the family reached out to him um, a year ago and was like dude tone down your instagram account this is actually like you're sullying the family name oh really yeah because his brother's kind of cool right super cool yeah that's a great surfer super cool great guy good vibes from him great vibes very well liked in the surf industry very much i know you mean yeah and so the unfortunate yeah this it's a scourge it's a scourge anyway quick question yeah do i put mikey Wright on my team and take michael rodriguez off for me yes i agree i think i'm doing that Thank you. What do you mean for you? To benefit my fantasy team. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> I'm going to give you advice that hurts you and helps me. Oh, so shit. yes, you don't think take I, Mikey Wright off. You don't think Mikey Wright's going to do well out there? He could. And you think you think Michael Rodriguez is going to find his mojo again? Or is that a one-hit wonder at Snapper? I'm going to reserve comment till after the event goes live. Put Mikey. <laughs> put Mikey. Put so Mikey, dude. <laughs> Just surfers are the worst. This is a great example. David won't even give me solid fantasy advice for fear that his team sucks. I don't want us to have the same team. Oh, really? We're not going to have the same team. I have Michael Rodriguez. So do I. So No, so take him off and put That's somebody else. That's just one guy. That's all I'm saying. I have a, I have a Duke that I'm really proud of, Scott, because I don't want to go out on that sour all right. note. All right. What's your Duke? Rose Marcario. Do you know who Rose Marcario is? Rose Marcario? No. The CEO of Patagonia. Oh, I love her already. Right? I'm a big fan. So the CEO of Patagonia struggled to sleep on November 9th, 2016, just hours after Donald Trump had been elected to president. Right. But this is not this is not a political statement, Scott. This is to say that the CEO of Patagonia was worried certainly about how this new White House administration might disrupt not only your company's business, but the future of the planet. This article was posted on Fast Company, and it said from her bedroom window or from her bedroom in Ventura, she agonized over the campaign's pledges to bring back coal, dismantle public land protection, unwind efforts to combat climate change while representing everything that Patagonia had long fought against. It was disappointing on many levels, Macario said, and she felt a real threat that, against all that the company had stood for. 
While some CEOs were salivating at the prospect of a more laissez-faire regulatory environment, Mercario intuited that what this moment was an opportunity for Patagonia to embrace their core DNA and double down on their activism. So what I wanted to restate was that this story shows how Patagonia invested heavily in legal costs and completely nonprofit driven projects. And every time they amplified that social mission, the consumer base supported it and their company grew. So it's an example that you don't need to be cutthroat in business to earn a profit or to even lead an industry. You can do good and earn a living and supply jobs and healthy lifestyles for thousands of people along the way. Back to the article. They said Macario has overseen a quadrupling of Patagonia's revenue in her decade-long tenure for the company, pursuing investments in sustainable design and manufacturing and in startups allied with Patagonia's mission. The company has built a righteous flywheel like an Amazon for do-gooders. The more it invests in its beliefs and products, the better Patagonia performs, develops creative solutions, and maps out a blueprint for other businesses, big and small, to follow. Doing good for the planet, Mercario says, creates a mark, a new market and makes us more money. That's the Patagonia way. So it's not- Golf com- clap. But it's not completely altruistic, and it needn't be. You can do good- And make money. And make money, and that's the way of the world. That's what and David I, and Scott do. And I would argue- First of all, we're not very good at the second part of that, but I would argue that financial incentive might be the ultimate motivator. So it's okay. It's okay to have that as an incentive. If you can, like Patagonia has done, build systems that actually create new markets that are sustainable. Like they've gotten into, um, they're selling buffalo jerky because they're working with a farm that uses a bison that is um, sustainable, like they grow more bison than they are killing and making a jerky to redefine the jerky market, you know, so that, look, hey, everybody, you can do it this way. You don't have to deplete grass and all these other things that other jerkies are doing. So hopefully by promoting this one thing, other parts of the market will co-opt it. They're in the beer game because they're using this new type of wheat to make the beer that is sustainable and regenerating and all that sort of thing to help redefine the way the beer is made, you know? Cool. So create new markets to make the world a better place. Very good. Yeah, that was a lot. You did a lot there. All right, man. Okay, until next time. Spitpodcast.com, boardroomshow.com. Buy tickets now. Come to the boardroom show, hang out with Scott and I. Yeah, hang out with Dave. And yeah, so you want to board- be bothered while you're no, 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 I don't. I'll be running around like a freak. Um, boardroomshow.com for tickets and information, and my Instagram at boardroomshow. Follow along, spitpodcast.com for everything that we discussed in this show. Oh, and Spit has a Instagram at spitpodcast. David hates it. He's shaking his head. He's not a fan. Don't go there. Go don't to go, there. go to. We need more followers. Spit podcast Sp- Instagram. That's Spit Podcast. So now they got to follow three? Yeah. All right. Don't, wait, you don't want follow them to follow you? You don't want them to follow Spit? I want them to follow Surf Splendor and Boardroom Show. <laughs> you got 10,000. How many followers do you have on Boardroom Show? 14,000. Exactly. That's tremendous social influence. Right. So promote it there. I do. Right. Okay. Until Adios. Next Until next time. Adios. And aloha. Aloha.